Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions. So joining us now on the NASCAR NBC podcast is NASCAR and NBC analyst Jeff Burton. And it doesn't take much to make my Monday morning, but when I get an email at 7.30 a.m. from Jeff Burton saying he wants to be on the NASCAR and NBC podcast because he wants to talk about everything that happened in Atlanta, that pretty much does it on a travel day home. So Jeff, welcome and thanks for making my Monday. Well, well, Nate, you need a more exciting life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I knew you were going to say I have low standards. But hey, no, I was really, really enthused because as soon as Kurt Busch won that race, I thought that, man, it would be great to have Jeff on the podcast this week, not just because of everything that's happened in Atlanta, but because I want to start with Kurt Busch winning. And I know recently, Jeff, you had some things to say on our race broadcast on NASCAR America Motormouths about that you've gone to Kurt and said, look, man, you're driving better than ever. We don't know what's going to happen beyond 2021, but I hope you stick around because your driving ability clearly has not diminished. And I was thinking about that while watching the Atlanta race. Kurt reminds me right now, Jeff, a lot of Elio Castro Neves, who is 46 years old. He just won his fourth Indy 500. Kurt Busch, 42 years old, just won a race for the eighth consecutive season, has made the playoffs nine consecutive seasons. At an age when a lot of his peers, it seems like their abilities are diminishing, it seems like Kurt is just getting better. So I just wanted to start there. I mean, what are your thoughts on Kurt Busch winning in Atlanta and kind of validating what you recently told him about, hey, man, you should keep doing this? Well, I, I think Kurt's in a great place. I think I think that Kurt, you know, as we've watched him mature in front of our eyes, right, over the years that he's been involved in a sport, uh, I was a teammate of Kurt's. Kurt's just a completely different guy. And I mean, I'll tell you right now today, like I didn't like Kurt Busch when he was younger. Like I, we, our personalities were completely different. I always respected his ability, but I didn't like him. You know what I mean? I don't think he liked me either. And that's fine. I mean, people, you know what I mean? That's just, we're all different, right? But to me, Kurt Busch, he has matured and he has become a leader in our sport in a lot of ways. His experience and all the things that he's gone through and all the things that this sport has gone through make him a voice that we need in our sport. He brings a perspective that I think is really important. And not only that, his performance on the track elevates the teams that he's involved in. And he brings the same amount of enthusiasm, the same amount of passion to his racing that he did 20 years ago. He just does it smarter. He's a better version of himself, right? And that's what life's about. Life's about all of us getting better. And we weren't great teammates, and that was as much my fault as it was his. But we both grow, right? And we mature, and we've seen Kurt do that. And the whole time that's happened, you could never question his driving ability. Even in the middle of chaos that he might have been involved in, some not of his doing, some of his doing, he still was able to focus on driving and put all those things behind. And that's difficult to do. 
And so as he's matured, I've gained more and more respect for him. And what he does on the racetrack, I just don't know how you question it. I just don't know how, uh, you know, there's rumors about where he's going next year. He said this weekend he wasn't sure. But you want that guy. Now, he's not a guy you're going to sign to a five-year contract, but he is a guy that, that can bring stability to your organization. And that's not something I think we would have said about Kurt 20 years ago. I mean, I think we would have brought speed to your company, but would he have brought stability? Probably not. So he's just matured. And I love what he does on the racetrack. I love the way he manages his races. I, I, I just think all that's good. And he has a place in this sport. Yeah, no question. He's become more of a leader, uh, not just – Ekinasi, but really his last couple of stops, you could go back to Furniture Row and, and Stuart Haas, and we saw that there as well. But he's certainly been a mentor to Ross Chastain. I want to get into that a little bit, Jeff, but just to put a bow on what you were saying about how he's matured, is he a better race car driver now because he's in his 21st cup season and has just learned how to apply all that experience? Like even if maybe his skills have diminished a little bit at 42, is he a better race car driver because it seems like he's applying everything he's learned through 21 cup seasons? Yeah, so so I don't know if he's better race car driver, but he's damn good enough. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it, it's, you know, there, there's a lot of things that go into being a race car driver. I think most fans think it's just about going fast, right? Just go fast. That's it. It's not that simple. It's about connecting the dots. There's a lot of drivers we've seen that could go fast but didn't have a career because they couldn't manage – a 500 mile event. They couldn't manage a 400 mile event. They couldn't manage the weeks, you know, weeks being a cup driver is not full of beaches and, and golf courses. It's full of a lot of work. And, and there's, there's not many that can manage those things. I mean, really you go look at the number of people that have won over 20 races. It's a pretty small number because it's hard to manage all those things. So I think Kurt is a more rounded race car driver. I think he's a guy that can take a 20th place car and find a way to finish 14th with it he's a guy that can still take a first place car and win with it and so I think he's a more rounded race car driver this version of Kurt Busch I would take any time I could if I was a car owner so he gets his 33rd career victory and he gets it because of his teammate Ross Chastain holding up his younger brother Kyle pretty much costing Kyle the lead they had a battle on the racetrack there was a minor war of words afterward here's what they had to say about it uh came off pit road with the lead there on the final stop thought we had to race in hand and I just gave it away. Kyle, did Ross slow you up intentionally, do you think, because Kurt was his teammate? Or? No question, man. He turned right in order to get dead right in front of me. If the 42 does get in front of you, do you think you can hold him up? I think it's a hell of a lot better race, yeah. I mean, I, the, I mean, for a whole two laps, you know, I just killed the tires trying to get turned underneath them. You can't just change direction. And when I tried to change direction, he watched his mirror and changed direction with me. So you just stomp on the brake and air block. It's it's pathetic. Is that ethical with It's racing, man. You can do whatever the hell you want. It's just going to come back on you. Kyle said you hung a right in front of him. He can say what he wants. Okay. I don't really care. I mean, yeah, he lost the race. He's going to be mad. I'm mad. I finished in the 20-something. He wanted to win, and I wanted to run better. I mean, everybody's got their own their own code. We have a huge banner that hangs in CGR, one team, one goal, and that's to win. Kurt asked for the bottom. He's my teammate. I'm going to give it to him. Uh, I, I, yeah, if the guy that loses, he gets mad, then okay. Uh, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to stay in this sport and, and driving as hard as I can and stay on lead lap as long as we can is is a part of that. I'm racing my car and stay on lead lap. So if, if anybody has a problem with it, they can come talk to me. 
and nobody nobody came up to me out there. So I, I thought, my goodness gracious, his brother won the race. All right, so Jeff, Kyle says it's a pathetic move by Ross Chastain, but also says, hey, that's racing, man. You can make your own choices, but prepare for the consequences. Ross Chastain basically says, hey, man, I don't care about what that guy says. I'm fighting for a job here. What's the Jeff Burton read on the situation of what transpired between Kyle Busch and Ross Chastain? They're both right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, listen, if I'm Kyle Busch, I'm pissed. You know, if I'm Kyle Busch, I'm like, you know what? You need to get out of the way. If you're going to get out of the way for him, get out of the way for me. If you're trying to help yourself, I'm all about that. But don't hurt me trying to help your teammate. I get that. We have to be careful as a sport. What is that line? You know, where does that line get crossed? I don't want NASCAR involved in it. I don't want them involved in it. Let the teams and the drivers take care of it themselves. And if Chip Ganassi has given his drivers a directive, if Ross Chastain has taken, you know, he talked about the banner, you know, one team, right? Oh, he talked about that. If that means to him, I'm going to do whatever it takes to help my teammate, you know, short of wrecking a guy or something like that then that's Ross Chastain's decision. That's his code of conduct that he's written. Now, he's got to take the good and the bad. When you make that decision, you know, Jack Roush told me when I started driving for him, you got to make a decision of who you want to be, and then you got to own it. Ross Chastain owned it. He did. He owned it. He said, I did it. I'm proud I did it, and that's great. Now, he also has to be willing to pay the consequences when Kyle decides, okay, I'm going to pay you back for that. That day is coming, and Ross will have to live with that. So, you know, I, I think they're both right. If, I, if I'm Ross and in that situation, I don't know that I'd do anything different. If I'm Kyle and I'm in this situation, I don't know that I'd feel any different, and I'd be looking to, to make Ross pay a price in some form or fashion. And if I'm Kurt, I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't do anything wrong, right? My brother's not mad at me. He's mad at Ross. I got the trophy. So, yeah. you know, yeah. if I'm Kurt, I'm like, yeah. I mean, you got Listen, you got to remember, Nate. I'm the guy that gave Mark Martin his lap back in Michigan. He went on to win the race. <laughs> That's right. And that was a rather controversial teammate move as well. Perhaps yeah. not quite as controversial as this one. And that one, it didn't decide the race right at that moment. I mean, there was no question when Ross held up Kyle. I think we all felt 20 laps to go. This is the pivotal moment. And brought up Kurt. Of course, Kurt loved it. He endorsed it. What happened on track was the perfect scenario for a teammate to do the work that he needed to do. If I'm running third, Ross isn't part of the equation. That that was exactly what a teammate needs to do. And Ross did that in a way that uh, gave me a sense of pride on the, the education and the mentorship that I have helped Ross with this year. It was a perfect give back. Even though Kyle's upset, do you think most of the guys in that garage, most of the drivers in that garage understand that's kind of how teammate ethics work? Yeah, I believe that uh, you know no line was crossed and it was that right finesse to make it happen. But he had a really interesting take, Jeff, in that he said that... Can we do that in the playoffs? No. Can you do that in the regular season where one guy has won and one guy's trying to run hard? Today was a perfect scenario for that to unfold, and Kyle got over it pretty quick. Uh, Pop Hockers, Fox Sports. So why can't that be done in the playoffs? To me, um, you know, Ross needs to be playoff eligible and to be one of the guys in the mix. So as the playoffs unfold and there's 16 guys that start, and then there's 12 after that first cutoff, and then there's eight, then there's four. Different things happen through the sequences of the cutoff races. And so if I'm out of it, it's the respect of not being involved as the, and you wanna let those guys race it out. And so Ross is doing everything he can right now to race his way into the playoffs, 
But there it is. There's a perfect opportunity to help a teammate, and he didn't shy away from it. Some other guys might have shied away. What do you make of that? Because I, I, I thought that was really interesting, that there are like different rules for where it's a regular yeah. season where one guy is one and the other guy is trying to get his first win, getting help from a teammate versus the playoffs. So what if that's Phoenix with the championship on the line and a teammate does something intentionally to help his teammate, his teammate and hurt the other guy, which is what happened this week. You know, to me, I'm going to have a problem with that because yeah. it should come down to those two drivers. So that's, what's confusing about this. Right. And that's why we have to be careful as a sport. We have to, you know, we have to be really careful about how far this goes because how do you turn it around and how do you decide, well, today is the day it's okay. And tomorrow it's not who decides that. And like I said, I don't want NASCAR involved in these decisions. I mean, how the hell are they going to police it? But it puts the whole sport in a very difficult situation because everybody in the sport watched that happen. So now, you know, how do you determine what, what is the right thing to do and when is the right thing to do it, the right time to do it, rather? It puts the sport in a very unique situation that, you know, I hope, you know, we can have the teams and the drivers can have enough discipline to understand what's appropriate and what's not. But that's hard to define because everybody views it differently. Talked about that leadership, that mentor role. Kurt Busch has been playing with Ross Chastain in their first year together as first and final year together as Chip Ganassi racing teammates. And they both talked about it at length afterward. Ross said that Kurt has pulled him aside and said, hey, look, you can't talk to this guy this way or race this guy this way. Just trust me, listen to me, do the things I'm telling you and things will work out for you. If Kurt doesn't have that kind of relationship, do you think he gets that help from Ross? Do you think that that helped? Or do you think like that, you know, there's sort of un unspoken rules, codes between teammates that even if there isn't that kind of cordialness off the track that they're still going to help each other. Uh, I think that relationships matter. <laughs> I think that <laughs> not all teammates feel the same about each other. Not all organizations look at teammates the same. If Ross and Kurt did not have a good relationship, I think Ross, if he did everything that he did on Sunday, it would have been purely because of the relationship he had with ownership and the relationship he had with management. But relationships matter and how you think about somebody matters. That, that is for sure. One more before we move on to the other big news in Atlanta over the weekend. I want to ask you about Kurt was kind of tweaking Kyle a little bit afterward. And he said that. I tell you, the, the, the adrenaline gets going. Uh, the childhood memories come back. The best of the best in this business is in my mirror. And yet I can giggle to myself sometimes. and go, yeah, I taught him everything he knows. It's, it's an awesome, genuine battle between the two of us. Uh, we've, we've had some friction over the years, but as we get older, uh, we, we've gotten slightly bit wiser and we've raced each other with a ton of respect on track to, to almost be teammates, even though we race for different organizations. And so with COVID and the process last year and sharing a lot of flights and a lot of time together with Brexton, uh, the two of us have gotten really close and uh, Chastain helped today from the teammate side. But, you know, it's my brother. He, he can take one, sit on the side. It's all right, buddy. You can finish second. And now we're tied uh, on Bush Brother one-twos with two wins apiece. It seems like you've gotten more comfortable, like, tweaking him a little bit when stuff like this happens, where he, he seems to dislike losing to you more than he dislikes losing anybody, perhaps. But you seem to have this joy about beating him and, like, ribbing him a little bit, even though he, he doesn't seem to take it very well. Why, why is that? Uh, it's, it's little brother syndrome. 
you know, I, I'm an older brother. I don't know what it is to be the younger one. Uh, but it's, it's a genuine feel of I'm, I'm not trying to push his buttons, but I know that as we've gotten older, the stats have stacked in his favor, and I've, I've come to agreement with that in my own mind. And with Kyle, I just, just let it ride. We'll see. You know, this, this shouldn't carry over but a week or two, uh, but we'll see what happens when I ask for another plane ride. You raced with an older brother in NASCAR. I should have looked it up. I don't know how many times you and Ward finished one, two, but what is the dynamic like for two brothers uh, in NASCAR's highest level when they finish one, two in a cup race like that? It's, it's, it's difficult. You know, Nate, I've said this a hundred times and, and it's, you're racing against your brother, not with your brother. And yeah. so when you are competing with people that you love and, and you, and the, you know, they have their families, you have your family, you know, and they're pulling for you and they're pulling for them. And I mean, it gets very complicated. Uh, I, you know, I find it interesting, you know, Kurt's like, we beat Kyle, you know, and then, you know, ah, we beat Kyle. And then he's like, I taught that kid everything he knows, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, he seemed to relish tweaking him. I, I, I don't know. remember Ward doing that to you. <laughs> no, like I wouldn't have done that, but, but you know, this again, it's relationships, right. And they feel like they can, they can do that to each other. And it's fun. Like it's fun to watch and it's fun to, to listen to and so uh, it was interesting you know i just i went as soon as he got out of the car he's like we beat kyle <laughs> and I'm, I'm like wow that was a shot across the bow but you know hey listen man it's fun to watch and i'm sure some of it is just those guys messing with each other having a good time and being brothers you know you always want to you always want to tweak your brother a little bit and i think both of them were certainly excited because the last two races on this pavement which is so beloved at atlanta motor speedway have been around since 1997 that track gets repaved after this weekend Kurt Busch wins Sunday, and they give him a chunk of the asphalt. Kyle Busch wins Saturday. He wants a chunk of the asphalt, which probably made him even matter that he lost to his brother who got the asphalt Sunday. Maybe they'll still give him a piece, but after Kyle Busch won the Xfinity race Saturday, Jeff, he went on a diatribe. I sure am glad to win the final Xfinity Series race on a real Atlanta racetrack because the next one is just going to be a showpiece, and it's going to be shit. So just think about it. Everybody needs to just think. Ain't nobody thinking. Brains for sale, never used operating racetracks i've seen when kyle bush wants to make a point in a press conference and there was no question he came into the media center atlanta seething uh he he was happy he won the race maybe not as happy because he had bumped his teammate out of the way to win it but he also wanted to make a point that he didn't like the direction they're going in next year with atlanta with 28 degrees of banking narrowing the track to 40 feet and a lot of drivers talked all weekend denny hamlin was very outspoken Kyle Larson also said some things about the fact they weren't consulted and they were miffed about that. They weren't always angry as Kyle, but they weren't happy about this. So your read on what's happening here, that there seems, it seems like there's definitely a disconnect between Atlanta Motor Speedway, Speedway Motorsports making this decision and the drivers endorsing it and, or being on board with it or even knowing about it. Well, so, so Nate, the po- first, the positives. The positives are there's enough passion and care about the sport that people are willing to voice it, right? The drivers could take the, the, the stance, you know what, I don't give a damn. It's whatever they want to do. I'll show up. I mean, that's not productive either. So the positives are that people care. And I, I think that sometimes maybe we care too much, but caring matters. And it is interesting. I think drivers should be consulted with for their opinion but they're not the decision makers in every item, nor should they be. Never before in the sports history have drivers been consulted like they are today. 
I, I do think that's important to note. Now, if drivers today don't think that's enough, that's okay. I mean, for them to feel like that, but I mean, never before has it been, have there been communications like there are today. Now, the problem with that is that when you start communicating, you have different opinions. I think this is really important for the fans to know too, is that not every driver thinks the same. So if you have 30 drivers that believe something and 10 others that believe something else, who do you go with? Well, you would think, well, you go with the 30, but they're not the ones paying for it. They're not the ones responsible for the fans. They're not the ones responsible for a lot of things, right? So it's a really difficult situation. I was the driver, Nate, that got very outspoken about safety because someone needed to. We needed to shake things up, but I did it in a way that was trying to pull people together. You know, I tried to pull the whole industry together. I mean, go back and look at my quotes. I asked for the manufacturers, NASCAR, the drivers, the owners, everybody to get together to try to make this better, which is ultimately what happened, right? It wasn't just NASCAR that went and fixed it. It was a lot of people that fixed it. NASCAR was the catalyst for sure, but a lot of people fixed it. Some of these things, it's not productive at all to air all the dirty laundry in public. It's not productive and it creates division and division is not the way forward. So I understand drivers want to be, want to be consulted. I wanted to be consulted. I was in the NASCAR hauler every week. I wanted my opinion heard. Most of the time, my opinion was heard, but a different decision may have been made. And that's how it was in that time. And you understood it. In today's time, because it is such an open dialogue, so much more than ever before, not only do you expect to be heard, you expect to be followed. Like you expect your opinion to be the one that makes the decision. Our generation knew we weren't. This generation, it's a different relationship. And I'm not saying it's not better today. I think in some ways it is better and think in some ways it's worse. But it's just a different time. So I wish some of that wouldn't get aired in public. I wish that instead of doing it to the media, we could just, they could pick up the phone and call Marcus Smith. Marcus Smith is trying to do good for the sport. He's trying to do right for the sport the same way the owners are trying to do right for the sport. They're all trying to do right. They may have different opinions, but ultimately they need to, you know, being able to sit down and talk about it, but somebody's going to make a damn decision. And that rests on the guy that owns it. That rests on the guy that's going to pay for it. That rests on the guy that's responsible to his fan base, right? That's his, that's his, it's his job. And could we get to a better solution talking to drivers and getting many different opinions? Possibly. I also know some racetracks that drivers got involved in that were horrible. I know racetracks that drivers got involved in that were great. I mean, Iowa with Rusty Wallace and what he did, that was a great success. There's some other failures that don't have any owners of it because they don't want people to know that they were involved in it because it was a complete failed. Yeah, (laughs) I've seen both sides of it. The public ones that didn't happen. Well, you don't know about, I know about them, but other people don't. So it's a, it's a tough situation uh, for all involved. I would ask everyone to check their emotions at the gate. Right. I think it's gotten to where it's an emotional thing now. And there's a lot of changes in the sport too, Nate. This isn't just about Atlanta. I think that's important to note. This is about a lot of things. You know, this is about the new car. This is about the rules. This is about, there's a lot of things going on here. This sport's been a major transition. COVID made a lot of things happen. The future of the sport, what weekends look like, what the car looks like. I mean, there's a ton of things that are going on now. Yeah. And so, you know, there's a lot of that. I think Atlanta 
and the reconfig at Atlanta was just part of this. And it was just some frustration coming over. And I wish we could do that behind closed doors. There's nothing wrong. Like Kyle expressing his opinion. That's what we should do. Like we, we want the drivers to express their opinion, but maybe, you know, maybe not as personal, right? Maybe not, not as personal. And, and uh, let's, let's remember we're all doing this together. To play devil's advocate a little bit. I think that what Kyle or certainly what Denny would tell you would be that, Look, I know they're not going to take all of our opinions and use them, but can they at least give us a heads up? I think drivers viewed this situation. They viewed Atlanta, and I think to some extent they view what's going on with the next-gen car. Obviously, there was some news last week that NASCAR is still going through a safety review, and Denny was talking about this past week in Atlanta that he was trying to get answers, and he couldn't get answers. And to their point, what Denny said about Atlanta was basically – Look, I might not be on board with raising the banking four degrees and narrowing the track by 14 feet, but you tell me what you want to do. Tell me what the goal is, and I will try to help you get there. And, yep. and I understand that for Marcus Smith and Speedway Motorsports, they probably don't want details to get out because they want this to be a big splash. They want this to be a big deal. But at the same time, if you're asking the drivers are the ambassadors of NASCAR. They're the primary yep. spokespeople of NASCAR. They're the people we go and talk to for 80% of the opinions and analysis that we want to know, they're the guys in the seats. So if they're, you know, as Joey Logano said, if they're blindsided by news about, hey, Atlanta's totally changing, what do you think? And get a microphone stuck in their face. Is it counterproductive a little bit to not give them a heads up at all? I guess, is there some degree of uh, justification or whatever you would want to call it? Professional courtesy. Yeah, professional courtesy. That's the word I'm looking for. Is there a professional courtesy there? So I think that's a valid point. I think that's that's a conversation worth having. I, here's the other side of that. If you're going to do something that you know drivers aren't going to like, are you going to sit down and have a conversation with them? Are you going to come to a reasonable solution without it being a fight? And the drivers will say, well, if you're going to – we don't want to do it, then why do it, right? Like we know yeah. better than you do. And that's a reasonable argument. You know, I believe that some of our drivers are very confident – they believe you give them a problem, they can fix it. That's what makes them great race car drivers. That's part of who they are. That's part of their personality. And those guys want to be involved. And that's a good thing. I got zero issue with drivers. I want drivers involved. I want drivers involved. I just also understand that there's some, sometimes going to be a difference of opinion. Mm-hmm. And when there's a difference of opinion, someone has to make the decision. Decision by committee is a failure, is a recipe for failure. And, and someone has to own, has to own it. And I, as a driver, there were times that I thought the world around me was completely screwed up. I thought it was all wrong. And some of what I thought was right. Some of what I thought was wrong. So there has to be a continued evolution in how drivers are spoken to, how they're referred to in, in these big topic items. At the same time, you know, never before has drivers been consulted with like they are today. Mm-hmm. I mean, never have the drivers been consulted with, with they, like they are. And, and NASCAR, the tracks, everybody is navigating through continual changes as we are going to have to do for the rest of the sports history. What also is important is what is the end goal? And getting two or three drivers together to have the conversation makes sense. Getting 20 or 25 together, that's a difficult thing to do, to have a conversation about how to make something better with 2025. So, we're always going to have this push and pull. I respect the drivers a great deal and that they want to be, that they care enough to want to be involved. 
I respect Marcus Smith and his group that they care enough to want to spend millions and millions and millions of dollars to change the racetrack. It has to get repaid to make it better, right? I respect both of them a tremendous amount. I wish there could be more collaboration. And I think, there, I think we'll all learn from this. I think communication is important. I do think the drivers need to take up one step back and recognize they're not going to get to make the decision on everything. They need to pick their priorities. And hey, if this is one of their priorities, fine. Make it one of your priorities and go to it. Pick up the phone and call Marcus Smith. I think that's the most productive way to do it rather than going through the media. Because now, now it's emotion. <laughs> now yeah. we've gotten emotion involved. I, listen, I talked to Marcus. I had a conversation with him. I said, okay, what if you lay this racetrack out, you know, you grade this racetrack out, and before you finalize it, are you willing to make changes if you look at it and say it's not right? And he said, of course. Like, we've done this work, but we're not just going to say this is it no matter what. Like, he's open to making sure it's right. I th also think it's important to note this, Nate, and this is where I get, I get um, a little upset because facts matter. And when trying to make a point, people tend to exaggerate things trying to make a point. Well, Daytona International Speedway is 40 feet wide. Charlotte Motor Speedway is 40 feet wide. I ask our statisticians, give me track widths. Those two tracks are 40 feet wide. That's too narrow? I've never in my life heard anyone say that Charlotte's too narrow. I've never heard it. The transitions into the corners how your car goes from going this direction to that direction, that's what matters. When they first built Texas, it was so screwed up because of the transitions of the diameter of the corner. Like, it was horrible. It was a disaster. They had to reconfigure it three times, two times they reconfigured it mm -hmm. to get it where you could have a good race. So without major wrecks, just running into the wall. So you have to take all that into account. But when, when I hear it's too narrow – you know, we're trying to widen racetracks out with PJ1. We never widen a racetrack out over 40 feet with PJ1. So facts matter. Let's focus on what matters and let's make sure we're given factual information. I've been told that there's two racetracks. One's a mile and a half and one's a two and a half mile racetrack that are 40 feet in the corners. So that's not too narrow. As long as the transitions into the corners and out of the corners and how the banking graduates into the corner as long as those things correct 40 feet will be fine i think some of it also is the variabilities with the next gen car which yes. has, has yet to be tested in yes. real life among <laughs> other cars and i know that was denny's point i think was you know how can we say what the racing is going to look like i understand they have data i understand they have i racing simulations that's right just see, it feels like this is a different kind of confluence of where it's not just, hey, they're redoing the track. It's they're redoing the track and we have a car that we still haven't raced around other cars that we don't know what it's going to do yet. They are, they're a hundred percent right when they say that. Yeah. Like you're redesigning a race. You have to pave the racetrack. It's done. That conversation is over. We, the damn racetrack came up on Sunday. It has to get repaved. If it rained on Friday, the whole day, we wouldn't have raced on Saturday in a perfectly sunny day. It would have been, water would have been poured out of that racetrack. It has to get repaved. So when you're repaving it, what do you do? Nate, I'm going to be honest. Like, I don't see the fans clamoring to the Atlanta Motor Speedway. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is, like the fans haven't been clamoring to come to that racetrack. We haven't had great crowds there in a long time, which says something. I don't know what it says, but it says something. Something, Marcus is sitting there looking at it saying, well, something needs to be different. And this is the other thing, Nate. 
So remember, this track was paved in 1997. Jeff Bodine went 197 miles an hour. Oh my God. Like that was so crazy fast when he, when he did that. It has now changed 180 degrees from what it was. So when you design a racetrack, you can't think about just what is it today? Mm-hmm. What is it going to turn into 10 years from now? I mean, think about that. There's a lot of variables that go into designing a track. You know, Charlotte Motor Speedway was the crown jewel of mile and a half, double D oval, whatever you call that thing. Everybody wanted to copy Charlotte Motor Speedway. That's what got us in this situation, right? Yeah. And so when it got reconfigured, they said, well, let's do it like Charlotte. And so now we've learned that we cookie cutter tracks isn't what fans want to see. That's how many times do we hear that, Nate? I'm tired of seeing a cookie cutter track. They're all the same. They're all this. They're all that. So Marcus is like, well, wait a minute. The fans don't want to see the same thing every week. Let's give them something different. I got to respect that. I think the drivers should respect that. I think the drivers, if they have a problem, which clearly some of them do, pick up the phone and call Marcus. Like pick up the phone and call him. There's not been, nothing's been graded yet. Marcus is a reasonable guy. The drivers, most of, most of the drivers are reasonable people. Well, I'd say all of them are. Have a conversation. Now, let's don't do it through the media because nothing productive is going to happen from that. There are times you have to. I just don't know that this was one of those times. It yeah. is important to note everybody cares. The fans shouldn't be looking at drivers and saying, oh, those drivers, they're spoiled rich people. They want everything. They shouldn't be looking at Marcus saying, oh, he's a rich guy. that wants to do it every well and doesn't listen to the drivers. NASCAR is completely out. No, we shouldn't take an unreasonable approach to this. They're all reasonable people. All have good intentions. All want to do the right thing. And let's don't turn it into what it's not. Hopefully this will be the beginning and the end of the Atlanta reconfiguration controversy. <laughs> and hopefully this time next year, perhaps we'll be talking about the grand spanking debut of Atlanta Motor Speedway. It ended with a bang regardless. This past weekend was quite a show, especially on Sunday. Appreciate the mayor as always coming by to talk about it. Jeff, thanks for giving me so much of your time. I appreciate it. Thank you, Nate. Have a great day. Our thanks again to NASCAR and NBC analyst Jeff Burton, who is in full mayor mode there giving us 30 excellent minutes recapping the Atlanta Motor Speedway race weekend and also putting the controversy over the track's 2022 reconfiguration plans in some important context, especially historically. When I began covering NASCAR two decades ago, Jeff Burton was the absolute go-to quote on all of the big picture and issue stories because he has informed and insightful opinions on everything and he remains just as worldly now. He was a podcast host's dream before podcasts even existed, so you can imagine how cool it is for me to have him as a co-worker who emails about wanting to come on as a guest on the NASCAR NBC podcast to share his viewpoints, which are very appreciated. NASCAR is at New Hampshire Motor Speedway this weekend. Be sure to check NASCAR Talk on NBCSports.com slash NASCAR for all the information and listings for our coverage of the last NASCAR race before the Olympics break. Speaking of that Olympics break, NASCAR America Motormouths will be on hiatus until after the Olympics are over, but I promise the show will return on Peacock in August. In the meantime, another sport to tell you about if you're a golf fan, and that is the British Open. It's the 149th Open Championship Once again, America will begin watching the best golfers in the world compete on the rugged shores of the English Channel at Royal St. George's Golf Club in England. 
The Open Championship is Thursday to Sunday on NBC, The Golf Channel, and Peacock. And thanks, as always, to NBC Sports producers Aaron Feldstein, Trevor Gavin, and Emily Conboy for all of the hard work behind the scenes that they do in helping with the coordination and recording of this podcast. They always check in and ensure I've got guests, that I've got the recording capabilities lined up, and they do a great job of getting this podcast out, audio version, and the Motorsports on NBC YouTube version that you can check out on the Motorsports on NBC YouTube channel. So thanks again to Aaron, Emily, and Trevor for all of their hard work and dedication. It's very much appreciated. The NASCAR on NBC podcast is available wherever you download podcasts. Please leave us a rating and review to help spread the word. And any feedback you can send to me on Twitter, at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR NBC podcast. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.